0: A lot of you know, I'm sure, that 500 years ago, there was a major change in the world of Christians, and it was called the Great Reformation. Um, The Reformation has been studied ad infinitum by church historians and historians because it had both a religious and a political influence and effect everywhere uh, it touched. But... Behind that and deeper than that, there was a whole other pattern that has been almost entirely ignored by historians and church historians and Christians, and we're calling that revival tides. So God was doing something by his power, pouring out his spirit, starting to wean his people away from worldly power and draw them back to his original idea which was by my spirit not by power nor by might but by my spirit says the lord all right so these seasons of revival um i believe are the advancement of the kingdom of god around the world Uh, it's it's not just church it's the kingdom of god so um it's it's amazing how you can ignore that, and yet that's what has happened. The The seasons of revival have been virtually forgotten, swept under the carpet as though they never happened. So um, what I discovered, and I was sharing in our, our last uh, video, is that um, these seasons of revival have been perennial, they've been regular, they've been cyc- cyclical. Not sick, but cyclical and and the and the the power of God has managed to manifest in these seasons of revival. The Holy Spirit, in other words, poured out again and again and again, so you have revival tides flowing and then ebbing and then flowing and then ebbing away and then flowing again, and it's been a pretty regular pattern and certain places over the the centuries five centuries of this that we can discern and each pattern each um uh flow of the of the revival tide about 40 to 50 years after the previous one i first discovered this pattern From my own mentor, Dick Simmons, back in 1983, and he was the guy who shared with me from eyewitness testimonies all of these previous seasons of revival. And it just was a startling awakening for me as I began to realize, hey, God's been doing this for a long time. And then he challenged my wife and me to start praying for the next season of revival, which we've been doing now for 39 years so we're coming on the magic number of 40 and we're pretty sure God is about ready to do something and if we pray I believe he's going to do it in our area or in our region in our country it all really does depend on prayer um, and very little else whether God comes to our region it depends on whether anyone is asking him for it. But the pattern is pretty consistent. So it's almost like I'm saying, when it comes to the time, the the fullness of time, God looks for the ones who are praying for for this, and he answers their prayers. And then there are people who could care less whether God does anything like this or not. and they'll find that God won't do anything like this for them. It's it's really the ones who are asking that do receive. So for me, it's been a question of um, seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness. You know, before I discovered all of this about revival, I just thought my job as a pastor was to build a successful church, you know, and I, I pretty much saw that everybody else who was a pastor had the same idea. So we were kind of going uh, in a competition with each other because someone who comes to my church won't go to your church, if you see what I mean. But then I got this kingdom concept that all of us should be seeking first his kingdom and all areas of life are under his control and his authority, And we ought to be seeking his righteousness everywhere, not just in our churches. And so the kingdom of God and revival is something that all the churches should be seeking because it's the kingship of Jesus. And that's what we all have in common if we're Christians. So the concept of revival and the concept of the kingdom of God is something that has the potential to unite Christians rather than dividing them. So it's a big deal for me to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And then for me, that has meant researching his kingdom and his righteousness, researching revivals because they're a piece of our history that's been forgotten. And I'm very grateful. Since I'm not a historian, I'm very grateful, as I've said before, that God has raised up revival historians and they have done their research and they've looked into the the great testimonies, eyewitness testimonies of what God did in the past. And so now I can put those seasons of revival together into story form, which is what I believe God has asked me to do. So um, this is to say that I'm, Busily writing Glory Through Time, Volume 2, which will have the subtitle, The Forgotten Legacy of Transformational Revivals. That's what I'm telling about. So, these transformational revivals started in Scotland, the first one being 1555, right in there, Um, between 1550 and 1565, God was doing amazing things in Scotland. And then um, after the time of John Knox, there was a an ebbing away of revival. And then another revival tide in 1596, and then an ebbing away of revival, and then another revival tide in 1638, which became the time of the national covenant of Scotland, where the the Scottish people signed a covenant with Jesus as a nation, and uh, his his presence was so powerful. Um, and and each of these times, his presence was bigger, wider, spreading out to more of the country, and more intense. And then, then there was a uh, an ebbing away, and then it came to a period of history called the, the killing times in Scotland another revival time and um and then um and then it ebbed away again you see how the, there's a pattern here and the and what what we don't see is the pattern spreading south into England and the reason for that is that the english people considered all of this revival stuff as um pure nonsense, fanaticism, extremism, whatever, but they had their own idea of what Christianity is. It's that got the king and the Archbishop of Canterbury at the top, and it, it's a very strict, orderly, religious system um, on Sunday mornings. It's just, um, that's what it is in, in in England, and so they didn't approve of what was happening in Scotland. And they actually tortured, killed, and um, forced people out of the country. Um, Anybody who um, had any inkling about revival or the Holy Spirit was not welcome. And so many of these people were forced into exile or, or forced to emigrate, and they came to America. So the next revival tide is going to appear in America, not in England. And so we're starting to see a Western pattern, which if you look at Acts 16, it goes right back to the Bible and uh and and God, the Holy Spirit, directing Paul to go west. And now we're still going west. And and um it's it's going to cross the Atlantic Ocean and appear as the great awakening in 1735, and that's going to be a great revival tide in the north, in New England. And then it's also going to reappear in Scotland at Cambyslang, uh, with uh, George Whitfield kind of going back and forth between America and uh, Scotland and England, but the revival was not welcome in England. Um, particularly, and and so uh, it's going to have a slow going. Let's just put it that way. Um, Then in uh, the the years of the American Revolution, it's going to um, disappear again. It's going to ebb away, and then another revival tide, which we call the Second Great Awakening, 1800 and it's going to appear also in england now as a result of the work of many um methodists um, and uh, other evangelicals who are slowly um working away at at, um, bringing the presence of jesus into england so eighteen hundred is is going to be a revival tide in both in England and in America in even in the southern states in America uh, through the um, k- Kentucky Revival. By the way, the Kentucky Revival is going to be an almost perfect imitation of Scottish k- conventicles that uh, the Scottish way of having revival. Is transferring itself directly over to Kentucky and it's going to move from there into the South. Then there's going to be an ebbing away and another revival 1857 that's going to actually take place in two two locations in Charleston, uh, South Carolina and in New York City and then it's going to spread all the way across the United States from there. Uh, 1858, and a great revival, just spreading all kinds of places uh, out of control. And then uh, once again, it just ebbs away. And then uh, revival again, 1903 with R.A. Torrey uh, at uh, Moody Bible Institute, and he gets a, a but a leading from God to pray for a worldwide revival. Nothing like that had ever been thought of before. Um, and so then he, he gets leading from God to actually be a revivalist for the revival that he's been praying for with the people at Moody Bible Institute. And so then in 1903, four, five, six, seven, a worldwide revival that touches down in all kinds of places. But then, um, separate from that, uh, in 1907, group of Presbyterians are praying and um, they're expecting God to to show up, and He does in Pyongyang in 1907, and you have the Great Korean Revival. So what's happening? It's crossed the Pacific Ocean, and now revival tides are happening in Asia, and so that's going to uh, mature into. Um, The Chinese Awakening, and uh, a guy named Mark Ma, as well as other leaders, uh, get fresh uh, leadings of the Holy Spirit that uh, God wants them to to complete the circuit around the world and take the gospel through the, the Muslim lands and back to Jerusalem. And so you finally have the Back to Jerusalem movement. So I'm giving you kind of the plot of my book here. But it is a very definite um, uh, advance of the kingdom of God through revival tides. And I'm eager to come out with this book at the end of this year, but I'm hoping to um, give you a taste of it now. And By the way, if you are interested in this, and you know other people who are interested in revival, I would appreciate it if you would send this Or at least um, alert people to this teaching and uh, maybe get some more people on my newsletter list, okay?